This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Given a ride deep to right field, and that ball's way out of here. Nolan Gorman, home run number seven on the season. Seven home runs in his last seven games. Slider back into his wine. Here she comes. Swing and a miss. He struck him out from the stretch. Swing and a miss. One, two on the way. Got him swinging. Check swing and a miss. He swing and a miss. Strike. Later comes home. Called strike three. Swing and a miss. Strike three. And three more strikeouts in the third for Jack Leiter. Seven K's on the night. And a breaking ball. Swung on there. It goes. Deep to right. Way back. Way out of here. That's a home run. O'Neill Cruz with a line drive. Home run to right field. And he wins the game for the Indians. It's a two-run home run. What a way to end it! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. It is draft season for us. Our top draft prospects list has expanded from 100 to 150, and we're going to dig into that today, break it down, look at some of the highest risers on the list, some players who have jumped onto the list, and some of the guys who have taken a bit of a tumble. One player who has certainly not taken a tumble and has remained securely at the top of the list, Cal Poly shortstop Brooks Lee, had a chance to chat with him. Jim and Jonathan did. We're going to listen in on that. And we are going to then turn our attention to the minor leagues and look at some of the prospects who are off to hot starts to this 2022 season. And we will wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. The draft is, well, we're within three months now. Our list has expanded from 100 to 150. We'll expand it again from 150 to 200. I, I just think this is such a fun list, and I, I know I've said that when we talked about it before, but the names at the at the very top, to me, this is one of the more exciting lists, these high school hitters. And it's also just a weird list now because, you know, Jim, you have a story up now to go along with the list saying that the top of this draft could be unprecedented. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, normally there's a decent amount of balance in the draft, but, you know, I don't remember if I used this quote in the story. And I think I did about, you know, when in doubt, you know, teams, you know, tend to default to college pitchers. You never have enough pitching. The college guys you feel are less risky than the high school guys because they're three years older and hopefully you have a feel on – on health and you've seen them against better competition, but I, I do think there's a good chance that at least the first 10 picks and maybe more could all be position players this year, which has never happened going back in, in draft history to 1965. And, you know, I mean, it only takes one, but I, you know, as if the draft were today, I'm not sure we'd see a college pitcher in the first 15 selections and that hasn't happened since 1969. And back then, the rules were much different. So many of the top college prospects 
wound up getting diverted to January drafts, or there was also a June secondary phase. So it wasn't it wasn't really resembling what we have today, where everybody's in one draft pool. Um, and you know, you, I mean, Jonathan, I know you've talked to a million people about this too. <laughs> I mean, everybody's talking about. You know, we we even chatted about it on the podcast last week. The, the number of pitchers you know who are hurt is is staggering. There's at least six college pitchers who had a chance to go in the first round who have injury questions. Only one of them, Blade Tidwell, is actually even pitching right now. That doesn't count Kumar Rocker, who hasn't pitched since the Mets didn't like his post-draft physical and walked away from it. It doesn't count East Carolina's Carson Wisenant, who's not hurt, but is suspended for the entire year after testing positive performance enhancing drug. And, you know, Dylan Lesko, who we've talked about on the podcast, is the top high school pitcher. He hasn't pitched in about three weeks because of a sore arm, sore arm. And you have two other guys who at least had, you know, some first round buzz in Noah Schultz and Cole Phillips and Noah Schultz has mononucleosis and he might not pitch more than two innings all spring. And Cole Phillips had Tommy John surgery a few weeks after he had hundred miles an hour. And I mean, nobody can remember a draft with that many potential first round arms with health questions. It's, 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 it's really, really crazy. And it wasn't, it wasn't a great, class to begin with on the college pitching front <clears throat> anyway, right? So we're, we're talking about not a deep pool that has been thinned out even more because of that. And then the high schools, you know, you, you, you mentioned the high schoolers and we're all kind of waiting to see what the deal is with Dylan Lesko. Uh, he's still on our, on our top 10. We'll dig into, you know, the top list in, the, in a minute, but um, you know, and then the next, the, the next two guys are, are guys from cold weather states. You know, you've got Brock Porter in, in Michigan and Andrew Dukanich in Indiana. Uh, so they're, they're being seen now, you know, so it's, it, it I've never seen anything like this uh, in terms of the disparity between hitters and, and pitchers for sure. So let's focus on the top of this list. Uh, not a whole lot of change to the top 10. Number one is still Drew Jones. Two and three have flip-flopped Elijah Green and Tamar Johnson. Uh, Green now number two and Johnson three, whereas it was the other way around back in December. But the, the biggest change is here at the number four spot where Jackson Holiday has skyrocketed from his original spot of 51 to number four now. Uh, this is, uh, of course, or maybe I shouldn't say of course, but this is the son of longtime big league star Matt Holiday. How did this happen? How, why the big jump? You know, it's it's interesting because last summer, you know, Jackson struggled on the showcase circuit a little bit. He got a little too home run crazy. Um, did finish well, but like, yeah, you know, when I was we were working on the list in the offseason, I have Oklahoma and I was talking to guys. You know, the consensus was okay, you know, interesting guy, you know, projectable body. You know, his dad obviously, Matt, grew to be a pretty big guy, but you know, people were a little disappointed in the showcase performance and he's been a different guy this spring. He has, you know, he's, he's gotten bigger and stronger. He's firmed up his body. Uh, I think I commented to you guys on Slack when we were updating our, our old reports as well as adding new reports to do the top 150. I think I upgraded him across the board. I don't remember ever doing that too often with guys. I mean, sometimes guys hit better or show more power, run a little quicker. But we actually, I, I think I bumped him up at least five and, and 10 points in some cases in every category. He's, you know, his, he, he's looking much better at the plate. He's not trying to hit home runs. He's looking more relaxed. Um, his left-handed swing, 
you know, got long last summer. It's not doing that now. And he's just, it seems like he's barreling the ball. It's jumping off his bat even more. He's gotten quicker. His arm's gotten better. You feel like, you know, where maybe it was kind of borderline. Ah, maybe he's got a chance to stay at short to now. Oh, you know, he's got a real chance to stay at shortstop. You know, he's got the requisite high baseball IQ from going up, growing up around the game, but he, it's been pretty impressive. Uh, Like I don't, I mean, I don't feel like sometimes a guy slips through the cracks or you feel like you don't have good information on him. You look back like, oh, I was light. Like we talked to a lot of people or, or I guess I did because it's Oklahoma about Jackson Holiday coming into the year. So I, don't, I felt like we had him kind of ranked appropriately based on teams we talked to. And then it's funny because he just got off to such a great start this spring. And until we update, I was like, man, I hate having Jackson Holiday at 51 on our list. It just makes our list look so old. And um, I, I don't think he's I, I think he's going to go in the top five or ten picks. Now, um, if he doesn't, I mean, it'd be kind of a cool story because his dad is a volunteer assistant at Oklahoma State, whereas Uncle Josh is the head coach. But I, I, I don't think we're going to have the family all reunited there. I don't think that's actually going to happen. No, it doesn't seem like it. I will say that, uh, and you know, you know, Jim obviously talked to more people, but when we, you know, when we put these lists together, and then we try to get feedback from so national level scouting directors, executives, cross-checkers. And I remember <clears throat> you know, we got a decent amount of feedback about Holiday. Not that he should be up higher, but I had more than one person say, that's probably about where you should put him because of the summer he had, but kind of put a circle around him because he's the guy who is the most likely to make a jump come the spring because – as much as he sort of got a little lost and got a little home run happy, there were enough believers in what he was able to do and that feel for the game that Jim mentioned that he would kind of readjust and get back to being who, who he was once he got into his regular high school season and kind of hit the reset switch. And it's been fun to see that that's exactly what he's done. All right. So I mentioned that uh, Elijah Green has jumped Jamar. Johnson and and we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast and I framed it just like that that he jumped him and Jim you said more like gently nudged aside. Yeah, I, I don't think Tamar's. I mean, Jonathan could talk about Elijah, but you know, in Tamar's case, it, you know, he, it's not that he's had a bad spring. It's just been a tough look this spring, and and people kind of knew this was going to be the case, but he he doesn't play on a very good team, and it's not a very good league, and. You know, scouting directors going to see him. Like I, I heard one story where guys went in for double header because you could get a lot, you know, hopefully get a lot of at bats with him. And his team got, I think, run ruled twenty to nothing and fifteen to nothing, and and you got two at bats in two games. So I think, I think Termar is not that you can really judge him against the level of competition, but Termar still is the best pure high school hitter guys have seen in quite a while. But if you go in to see him this spring to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to get excited again, it, it has been a tough look. Yeah, and, and for Elijah Green, I mean, even when we you know wrote or when I wrote him up in December and he was behind Tamar Johnson, uh, you know, and we, we talked about the fact that he probably has the highest ceiling of anyone, uh, or at least as high, if you want to put him in the same conversation with with drew jones but there were question marks you know uh there's always been some swing and miss to his game uh over the summer he got exposed at times especially to 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 soft stuff he chased too much things things like that so the the tools are 
ridiculous. He's unbelievably athletic. He's big. He's strong, raw power. He can run. He can throw. He can do everything. But was he going to hit enough? And this spring, he's at IMG Academy. So he has the benefit of facing good competition uh, and has really done a lot of work uh, with his approach at the plate where he is not swinging and missing as much. I think he's always going to be a guy who's going to uh, have some strikeouts to his game, but I don't know that people care about that. It was more, you know, is he going to have trouble recognizing breaking stuff at the next level? And because he's seen some good secondary stuff and has been doing a much better job of recognizing, uh, you know, not chasing stuff out of the zone, it's allowed him to to hit better, get to his power in games, things of that nature. Uh, he's kind of been on fire all spring, uh, and there hasn't, you know, there's been no lull. He's just kind of kept it going, and so that's why he's, you know, we kind of made the decide to uh, put him at two and, and Tamar at three. But there's not there's not a ton separating them, in in my opinion, big, strong, fast, five tools. I know you guys don't don't like to do comps, but are you are you getting a lot of young Jason Ratliff comps with Green? <laughs> that's the one that comes up the most. Yeah. Not quite as fast, like young young Jason Ratliff, but not quite as steps fast. Low, steps lower, a touch more power, not as fast. Yeah, that makes sense. And that also reminds me. I, I I guess I was just kind of assuming everyone knows who we are. Uh, I didn't. I didn't introduce us. Uh, Oops. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and I'm Jason Ratliff. Maybe we should have done that at the top of the show. Um, all right. Well, before we, we want to talk about the highest risers on the list, but before we do that, I want to talk about. I want you guys to talk about one more guy in the top 10 who took a pretty big jump. Uh, doesn't, you know, doesn't make our list of guys who made the biggest jumps on the list. But within the top 10, outside of Holiday, uh, Daniel Suzak, uh, who went from 23 on the preseason, or well, I shouldn't say preseason, the original top 100 list, um, into the top 10 here. Yeah, Arizona's my uh, neck of the woods again. Another family connection. His brother Andrew caught in the big leagues and uh, – you know, he's really hit um, even better than last year. He's a draft-eligible sophomore, uh, you, you know, so he, he took another step forward with the bat. I think he's been more consistent that way. He's big and strong. Uh, you know, there were some questions about his abilities behind the plate. People are comfortable enough that he can catch. Um, it, it's been kind of interesting because when we first started sending the list out for feedback and, and we ran him up, pretty high and i think this is speaks to what we were saying before about you know a lot of the the pitching has gone by the wayside and you know started out thinking i don't know that he really is a top 10 guy even though the numbers are good he was a really good college performer but felt more like a 15 to 20 kind of guy um and i had i had someone who we get feedback from ask me like i know it's early but like are you hearing his name up that high and it, initially, my response was, well, not yet. I mean, we haven't really dug in like that, but someone's got to be in the top 10. And, you know, he's performed to, to belong there. Postscript is I'm working on our first mock draft, and I'm hearing a lot of Daniel Susak going in the top 10, 11, 12 picks. So, um, you know, it's sort of like the performance is caught up to where I think he's going to go. And, you know, he's a big, strong guy who most people think will will catch. And and let's say for whatever reason he can't, he's going to hit and he's going to hit with power. Okay, so now let's talk about the highest 
risers. Let's break it down into two distinct categories here. Guys who are new to the list were not on the top 100 at all. And then we'll talk about guys who were on the top 100 and made big jumps up in the top 150. Let's start with that first group. And Jonathan, who do you have? Uh, Bryson Mounts from, from the University of San Diego jumped up to 63 after not being on the, on the top 100. And you know, I think there's a whole kind of group, and they're sprinkled throughout the top 150, but there, I think there are a bunch of college arms who move up by default because they're performing and they're healthy. Now, obviously, scouts aren't just looking at a box score and that they're taking the ball every week. You know, he's a six foot three left hander. You know, the the other thing, you know, the reason why he wasn't on the list and is now is he had mostly been a reliever, uh, moved into the rotation this spring, has been San Diego's Saturday starter, and he's been very, very effective. He's always missed bats, but he hasn't always thrown strikes. And his command has improved. He's filling up the strikes and he's cut his walk rate, uh, you know, by more than half. He's got a funky delivery. It's deceptive, kind of, you know, lower three-quarter arm slot that makes some people nervous. But right now, he's throwing three pitches for strikes. Uh, You know, the fastball is in the low 90s as a starter, but people don't see it. Uh, because of the of the funky delivery, it's it's got sink and life to it. So he gets ground ball outs. Uh, the slider tunnels off of the fastball. Uh, so even though it's you know it's a good pitch, it's it's you know they're they're not picking it up. Uh, and and the changeup, he's just starting to throw more now because when he was in a bullpen role, he wasn't throwing it. So he's kind of interesting. I think he's the kind of guy that you send out as a starter and see if it holds up over the course of a long season. Cause maybe you have a kind of an interesting funky look left-handed starter, but also know that the, the fastball ticks up. He was up to 96, 97 out of the bullpen. He could be a really good left-handed reliever if starting doesn't work. All right. And Jim, who's someone from your, your neck of the draft who made a big jump onto the list? Well, the biggest jump, and I touched on him earlier, was Cole Phillips, the high school pitcher from Texas, who who jumped up to number 50, but has had Tommy John surgery. He might have been a borderline first rounder if not for the Tommy John. But the the guy I wanted to talk about was the second biggest jump, who was Thomas Harrington, who's now number 53 on the list um, after not being ranked. You know, it's funny. His name came up. um, You know, he could have made the top 100. We left him off. Now he's number 53. And he's interesting. He was a walk-on who was the Big South Conference freshman of the year last year at Campbell. His last outing, he one-hit Mississippi State, which went on to win the national championship for five innings in NCAA regionals. And he's got one of the better combinations of stuff and strikes. Uh, among, you know, and as we've talked about, there aren't that many healthy college pitchers. He's among the NCAA Division I leaders in a number of categories. He has a chance to pass Seth Johnson, who the Rays took 40th overall back in 2019, his highest pick in school history. And, you know, he's got, you know, his fastball velocity will fluctuate a little bit. You know, he can be 90-93 on some days, 93-96 on his best days. But even on the days at lesser velocity, he misses a lot of bats because he's got good arm side run and carry on the fastball. He's got a, a mid-80s ch- uh, changeup. I was going to call I, I started to say change up and tumble at the same time. A mid-80s change up with tumble, which I guess I was about to call chumble, uh, that uh, he can get swings and misses in, into the strike zone. He can get you to chase it out of the strike zone. He can flash a plus slider. He can mix in a curveball like as, as a different look. Um, really good athlete who repeats his delivery well and just throws a ton of strikes. 
Um, you know, draft eligible sophomore. He'll be 21 a week before the draft. Um, a lot of upside. And, you know, as Jonathan was saying too, uh, I mean, there are going to have to be some college pitchers to go in the first round. And I, you know, I, I think Harrington's a guy who could sneak into the first round. I think Mouts is a guy who could sneak into the first round. Um, you know, some of these guys are going to have to work their way into the first round from the college pitching crop. I love the chumble. Chumble. That, that's a new one. Where I get chumble 60. Trademark that. Imagine if, uh, <laughs> imagine if John Duran picked that up and he could have a splinker and a chumble. Yeah. I, so I don't know if you have the fading change up. Maybe that's the chade. The Chade and the Chumble. We're, 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 that, those are two new pitches now. I like Chumble. I, I I would put I would rank Chumble ahead of Chade. Yeah, but you but then you could write that he's throwing Chade, like and <laughs> no, he's well. disrespecting the hitters by throwing Chade. So that's, that's pretty good. Splinker Chumble Chade. All right, uh, let's talk about some guys um, who were already on the list previously, uh, but are much higher now. Jonathan. Yeah, for me, uh, the guy who's made the biggest jump up. Uh, has been uh, Gabe Hughes at Gonzaga University. Uh, again, college pitcher, healthy, but boy, he has really, really performed uh, and gone from a guy who was sort of interesting to a guy who, for me, is definitely going to go at some point in, in the first round. I mean, we're, he's at number 19 right now, and I could I could see him going somewhere in that neck of the woods. Cause it's just every week he goes out and, and does it. He's been Gonzaga's Friday night starter. So it'd be the first Gonzaga first round selection since who pop quiz. Marco Gonzalez. Yes. Um, and like Marco Gonzalez, Gabe Hughes was a two way guy. Um, not, not as good. And now he's pitching only, uh, you know, Marco Gonzalez, if I recall correctly, was a two time John Olerud winner. Um, I'm not, I'm not 100% that, that I'm doing without looking. At any rate, I mean, he's 6'4". The stuff is really, really good. The fastball's up to 97 regularly. He might throw harder, throws a really good slider that flashes plus and can touch 90 miles an hour. And he's got good feel for his changeup. It's electric stuff, and he throws strikes with them, uses both sides of the plate, commands the soft stuff, really good makeup. He's sort of – he doesn't have the command of George Kirby, but Kirby didn't throw this hard back in college, but – it's sort of the guy who goes in the middle of the late back end of the first round who might end up being much, much better than, than people realize. Although I think people are starting to, uh, starting to realize, I mean, they, they knew he was good. He pitched well for, for team USA over the summer, but he's a guy I'm very excited about. All right. And Jim, I think you're pretty excited about Gilly Goober. <laughs> yeah. Drew Gilbert. I, I just noticed his Twitter handle is Gilly Goober, G-I-L-L-Y-G-O-O-B-E-A-R. Also a two-way guy, although he's not pitching. He did not give up a run last year uh, in eight innings of relief. Um, you know, he's he could get the fastball up to 93. Guys actually do like him on the mound, but he's so good in center field and Tennessee's pitching staff so deep. They have not um, they have not used him on the mound. And, and, and a quick, quick fact check, Marco Gonzalez won – John Olerud Award. Um, the only multi-time winner is Brendan McKay, who won three. And unfortunately, oh, wow. the, the winners Thanks of the John Olerud Award have not had good pro careers. They've often been hurt, unfortunately. But anyway, um, back to Drew Gilbert. Um, you know, Tennessee's got a lot of guys playing well. They're the best team in the country. He's hitting around 350, more walks and strikeouts. You know, you know he's got ops over 1,100. And, you know, guys liked him coming into the year. They just wondered what his ceiling was exactly. He's, he's 5'9", 185. He's not a big guy. He, 
kind of plays with his hair on fire in all phases of the game. And he was really aggressive at the plate. So he, he had some hand-eye coordination, really good hand-eye coordination where he could regularly get the barrel to the ball. But the swing would get long. He was probably too focused on home runs for, for a smaller guy. And people, you know, liked him but thought, okay, third rounder, you know, the approach is a little bit too aggressive. And he's toned it down slightly. Um, you know, he's, he's doing a lot more damage, you know, a lot more consistent damage at the plate. You know, he's not going to be a slugger, but now that he's, he's settled down a little bit, I think he's got a better chance to get to 15 and 20 homers without, you know, swinging to the, for the fences, you know, solid to plus runner, but really good instincts on the bases. He's aggressive. He steals, he takes the extra base, same thing in center field. It's not, you know, he's not like a 65 or 70 runner, but he covers a ton of ground because he's got really good instincts in center field. You know, I mentioned, you know, he's up to 93 on the mound. Um, good feel for curveball too. He actually, going back to our 2019 draft stuff, Jonathan, when he was, he, he was from Minnesota and he was the second best, he probably had the second best stuff among all the pitchers in the upper Midwest behind Quinn Priester, who's now a top 100 guy for the Pirates. Um, so he, he can really throw, um, people love the makeup and, you know, I think just kind of settling down at the plate, not trying to do too much has allowed him to have a better year. Has allowed guys to believe that the approach is going to play at the next level. And I, I, I do think, you know, uh, right now, I, I think he's probably hit his way into the you know bottom third of the first round. Guys like the tools, love the makeup, love the performance. All right. So those are some of the highest risers on our new top 150 draft prospects list. And uh, we'd want to, we don't want to, focus too much on on guys who have fallen but let's let's take a look at a couple of guys who have fallen and and talk about why uh first jonathan a sprinkle has fallen <laughs> very nice uh yeah jordan sprinkle from santa barbara you know trying to encapsulate the the sort of collective disappointment the scouting industry has had uh is he had he had a really good sophomore year and you know every we we, we talk about especially the at the college level, but I think across the board, when you have a guy who plays shortstop in the amateur and there's all often that caveat of, well, they're not going to be able to stay there or it's unclear. Jordan Sprinkle can no doubt play shortstop. Uh, he's a plus runner. He's super athletic. He has great instincts, good hands. He's got a really good arm. He's going to play shortstop for a very, very long time. And the reason why scouts were excited is it looked like he was going to hit two. Um, you know, not a ton of power, but he had gotten stronger. There was extra base authority, made a ton of contact, uh, and it kind of has all gone sideways this spring. Uh, he uh, had really clicked with Santa Barbara's hitting coach last year and does not have the same bond with their their new hitting coach. That's not an excuse, mind you, but I think it's impacted him and, and he's been a little bit lost at the plate. Uh, he's making bad swing decisions. He's hitting under 300, but he can play. Uh, he can play shortstop, no doubt. So a team that thinks the guy they saw last year um, is for real and they can refine that, uh, they'll take him pretty high. But he's gone from a guy who l looked like a kind of no doubt about it late first round pick to a guy that has a lot of question marks about his offensive profile. Well, you could say the same thing about Nolan McClain. There are a lot of questions about his offensive profile now, too. And he, he's a guy – I really liked him back in the 2020 draft. And I think he could have gone the first three rounds coming out of um, North Carolina High School. He's a two-way guy. But he also wanted to play quarterback in college. Oklahoma State gave him the opportunity 
to, to see if that would work out. He didn't play for them his first season on campus and decided to focus on baseball. And coming into the year, you know, we had him as kind of that, you know, sandwich round, early second round area, but he was a pick of a lot of guys to click. Like they thought he was going to take a step forward and, and, you know, really, you know, you know, play his way in the first round. You know, he's got, you know, there are a few guys in this draft who I think can, can match his combination of raw power and arm strength and really fits the third base profile. Well, people were really excited about seeing him in the fall and he's come out and he's pulled his average up a little bit, but he's striking out at about a 40% clip, which is not good. He's second in the nation in strikeouts. He, he does have nine home runs, but yeah, you know, people are very concerned about the swing and miss te- tendencies, you know, obviously. Now, the interesting thing is I do almost wonder if he might get drafted as a pitcher rather than as a third baseman. Um, he has pitched some relief for, for Oklahoma State this year. He's got 28 strikeouts in 16 innings. He, you know, as I mentioned, the strong arm, the fastball's up to 98. He's got a pair of power breaking pitches and his slider and downer curveball that could be plus. You know, I think he's more, more reliever than starter. Although you can make the argument that you know he's been a two-way guy, he's, he's been playing football, he's pretty athletic. If you focused on pitching, you know maybe you have a starting pitcher in there. So, guys, you know he's going to be a guy. You know, there's a lot of you know interesting draft guys on Oklahoma State who are hard to figure out. So they're going to be scouted pretty heavily. Um, but you know, if I could still see him going in, in the first, you know, three or four rounds of the draft, maybe higher if he heats up at the plate. But I don't, you know, I think it's like, if, like I said, if you told me he got drafted and he was announced as a right-handed pitcher, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me because he's been, even though it's it's been a smaller sample size as a reliever, he's been much more dominant in that role than he has as a as a hitter. I think one of the things that there's a smattering of of uh, of guys like this who you know do we know Jim the Don McLean want to hit at the next level because it's sometimes what happens is a kid you know wants to try to hit and so even if you hear him announced as a third baseman he may be given the chance to hit and then when that doesn't work the team that took him knows that they can that put him on the on the on the mound so it'll be curious to see what happens there. Yeah, I don't know if um, I, I don't know that he stayed that. I mean, I know out of high school, everybody felt like his greatest desire was to try to play quarterback in college, and so that's why. You know, and the other thing with him that might make it difficult to, to it might make it difficult to get him this year is he's he's only in his second year at Oklahoma State. He's a true sophomore, age eligible, and maybe he'll he'll decide to go back and, and try for a better year. McLean has fallen to number 140 on the top 150 draft prospects list after being number 46 on our early top 100 list. And uh, Jordan Sprinkle, who Jonathan talked about, has fallen from 29 to 101. Let's take a break and then come back and talk to someone who has not fallen at all, has remained anchored at the very top, and that is Cowell Poly shortstop Brooks Lee. We're going to talk to him when we come back after this break on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. 
that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Pleased to have a great guest on the Pipeline podcast this week. Actually, our, our top-ranked college prospect in the 2022 draft, our draft top 150 has just come out, and that's uh, Brooks Lee from Cal Poly. Brooks, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I, I, I'll ask you the, the, the first question. You've been through the draft process before, and even though you didn't go high in the draft, you could have had you wanted to go pro out of high school. I mean, I know you had you know first-round offers, offers of first-round money. Obviously, your situation is a little bit different than most, considering who your college coach is. But uh, what was that decision-making process like the first time for you? Uh, it was actually pretty stressful. So, you know, making a decision at 18 years old, changing your life, uh, and having that opportunity to go play for your dad, it's a, it's a lot of things to juggle at one time. So um, I ended up making the decision the day before the draft on Sunday. Uh, and it was just a family decision and stuck with it. And now here we are. You know, it's the obvious question to sort of ask about the playing for your dad as someone who coached his own son, you know, up to a certain point. I, I can't even imagine that relationship at that level. You know, how do you, how do the two of you kind of keep that, that, that balanced? I mean, do you have to catch yourself and not call him dad when you're on the field or has it just been going on for so long that you're kind of used to it? Uh, I started calling him Coach Lee probably senior year of high school, so I've stuck with it even when I'm not uh, around him or I'm at home too. I call him Coach Lee, so uh, I do it. And he's uh, we're not the same people, so it's easier to get along. I feel like um, so I'm a little bit different than he is, and we fit perfectly for each other. So I, I got to follow up with that one. So when you after you go into pro ball, does he become dad again, or will he still be Coach Lee? Uh, it'll probably still be Coach Lee, so because I'm sure he'll be uh, giving me some uh, constructive feedback, probably not in the best way sometimes. So uh, it'll be Coach Lee. It's not just your dad. I mean, this is like the family business. Um, you know, talk a little bit about what it was like growing up with various members of your family, uncles who played pro ball, things like that. It just uh, it, it sounds like it was, it's kind of like a, a family heirloom that was handed down to you at an early age. Yeah, it's uh, probably the best situation you could have as a kid uh, who wants to play professional baseball. So um, I had my dad's two brothers play professional baseball and their dad, um, who was in a, a plethora of other things in professional sports. So uh, not to mention Cal Poly has been the legacy that we've had for so many years. So uh, there's a bunch of different reasons uh, why I am who I am, and especially because of um, the family background that I have. Penya, we write all the time. I, I know I write all the time. Jonathan writes it all the time. We're writing up reports on players. You know, so-and-so grew up around the game, and he's got a high baseball IQ, and his instincts are off the charts. But, like, I guess in a way, maybe that is a cliche, but I, but in a way, I almost feel like it's 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 also very true. Like, like it just seems like people who grew up around the game, you know, whether their dad's a college coach or their dad was a big leaguer, have just been exposed to so many aspects of baseball that – it is an advantage. How much has that helped you? Oh, a lot. I think that it's probably taught me more how to win than anything else. Uh, 
versus being the flat out prospect uh, with the, all the tools. So um, I think that being that ball player that I am uh, comes first. And I feel like I'm pretty old school in the way that I think uh, as a player and I try and be my own coach on the field. So uh, I think, I mean, it's helped me in a bunch of different ways, but probably learn how to win is the most important one of being instinctual and uh, having those characteristics of like an old school ball player. You mentioned being instinctual because I would imagine that there's got to be a balance there, right? You don't you don't want to be inside your head yeah. too much, right? I think someone who has those, uh, you know, all those lessons that you've learned and coached on the field, which I've heard you've been any scout I ever talked to, and Jim and I split up the country, uh, and and I'm lucky enough that you're in in my half of the country, so that's what everyone brings up. Do you have to remind yourself sometimes just to go out and play and not try to sort of micromanage yourself? Yeah, uh, it's that's why I like I can't stay in the off season because I just want to play. So um, I'm always trying to think about different ways to improve my swing or mechanics for any other part of the game. But uh, I definitely need to catch myself sometimes, uh, like in the fall, just hey, I'm just here to hit the baseball right now and have fun. We're taking BP, and I don't need to be so uh, so adjusting in what I do. So um, it's tough, but. Honestly, it's a good problem to have to know all that information and then be able to cut it down when I need to. You, know, you can make decision to go play for your dad at, at Cal Poly, and yet your career did not – it could not have begun like you envisioned it. I mean, you had a pretty serious injury. It was in, was it in fall ball, I guess, your freshman year? Yeah, got surgery on Halloween of 2019. And from what I remember, it was a, a knee injury and a hamstring injury. You just hit the base funny, like running out of a ball at first base? Uh, I hit a ground ball to second and about three or four steps down the line, uh, hyperextended my knee. And so it uh, perfectly tore my LCL, which is on the outside of your knee, and then the biceps femoris, which is uh, the third part of your hamstring. So I'm a pretty good kinesiology major without being in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> and how hard was it to come back from that? I mean, that, that that's a pretty major injury. I mean, was it I know it's a pretty rare injury. Were you, were yeah. you worried about it being career threatening at, at all at the time? Uh, at the time, yeah. So um, I know like my surgeon had only done three or four of those um, and he's the head surgeon for the Rams. So uh, it was pretty uh, threatening for my career, I thought at the time. And then once the process started with rehab, uh, I got a really good uh, physical therapist uh, in San Luis Obispo and then everything kind of set sail from there. But it wasn't easy at all. Uh, but I'm I'm actually thankful that I got to do it. I got to uh, change the way my body works, my body type. I got a lot stronger and faster because of it. And I, I think it's more of a, a a blessing in disguise than anything. I think you know we've waited long enough to to talk hitting, right? I think we have to. We have Brooks <laughs> Lee. We have to. He's the best college hitter in baseball. I think we have to talk hitting. Tell us a little bit, just you know, about how your approach has evolved. Obviously, it's incredibly advanced. Uh, you know, you hit over 400 on the Cape. You've kept hitting uh, this this spring. You know, your bat to ball skills, people talk about all the time. Like, you sort of break down what you try to do in the box uh, in any given at bat. Um, it's, you know, it's complicated because I have a different approach for almost every type of pitcher uh, from the left and the right side. And there's so many different aspects that go into it once I go up to the plate. So, um, field, win how I feel on that day, um, who's throwing, what the defense is like. I mean, there's a bunch of different things, but um, I mean, traditionally I try and go the other way, just like everybody else. So if I'm left-handed, I'll go to left center. 
and I want to be on time for a fastball left center. Uh, and then if I'm a little bit uh, early on an off-speed pitch, I'll pull it um, probably down the right field line or to right field. But if I'm perfectly on time for that off-speed pitch, I'll hit to the right center gap. So uh, it's a uh, it's different. I like to have a flat swing. Um, so I don't have anything to do with that launch angle or anything like that. So uh, I'm all about just getting hits and hitting the ball hard consistently. And then, you know, once I get stronger, uh, those doubles I hit will turn into home runs and the singles will turn into doubles like that. So, uh, but it's, it's pretty complicated. Uh, and I can go on for hours uh, talking about hitting. We don't mind. Yeah. Just like my dad. So uh, no matter what though, I try and, I try and keep it pretty simple once I get in the box and after every single pitch, I'll learn something about what I feel or what that pitcher has to offer. And then I'll go from there and compete. Well, Jim, he answered like every single one of my follow-up questions just in his <laughs> one answer. So I, you know, I don't have much, I mean, I, I guess the quick follow-up I'll ask, cause you sort of touched on it. Cause I guess the one thing that people ask is about, you know, well, how much power will there be at, at the next level? And you kind of touch on that. Do you chuckle when you hear that? Because you're like, I, I could yeah. hit the power if I wanted to. It, yeah, it's a little different. Uh, like, where we play, I get rewarded with doubles um, because we have big gaps uh, and it's a big field. But uh, hitting 10 home runs last year uh, is a lot for Baggett Stadium, which is where we play at. So um, I always felt that it would be a little bit different where I played. Uh, but – I mean, it doesn't matter. It's all the same playing field once you uh, once you really get up there. Yeah, and Brooks did hit, I think, six home runs in 21 games on the Cape last year yep. with wood bats. So, I mean, you, you showed some power against you know wood bat with wood bats against good competition. How long have you been switch hitting? How did that start? Do you feel better from one side or the other? Or you know, a lot of guys will say they're better left-handed just because they get more at bats left-handed. But but how did that all start? Um, so I had no choice growing up. So. <laughs> That's a, another thing in the family business is everybody switch hits. Um, so, I mean, I have wanted to switch it my whole life and I've stuck with it and it's tough. Um, uh, but I really think that I'm the same from both sides. I just, once again, get more left-handed at bats. Uh, so it's that experience level that I think has drawn me further along on the left side. Uh, but that's why I like going to college in the fall, it was one of the things that we were going to work on. My dad and I was, all right, we're going to try and get my right-handed swing uh, up to par with my left-handed uh, and be that same comfort level. So uh, I always face left-handed pitching and inner squads and scrimmages. Uh, and so no matter how bad I did, I knew that it was going to help me in the long run. Uh, and so far, I've had a better year right-handed than I did last year. So uh, it's coming along a little bit. Right, let me ask you uh, about your, your your defense because I think that's the other thing that people come up. Are you playing shortstop right now? Um, I, I've noticed a little bit of shift when I've talked to scouts who I think if if asking them in the fall gave you a, a you know a, maybe an infinitesimal percentage of playing shortstop at the next level, and you've I think you've proven to some people that maybe maybe you can stay there. Is that something that you? you even care about like if, if you get drafted and, and they, the team that drafts you says we want you to play third you're you'll be all in or do you want to go out and prove to people that you actually could stick it short yeah I mean I want to prove people so um like I know the statistics about Brandon Crawford 60 time Corey Seager's down the first uh all those things so uh I know I'm right up there with the rest of them but uh the thing that separates me I think would be those instincts and knowing where to position myself. So I know I have a good internal clock because uh, growing up, I didn't have the best arm. So I really had to use my feet and make sure I got the ball 
one or two steps in front of the runner. Uh, but yeah, I, I would like to prove myself to people that, that, you know, somebody that doesn't have the greatest feet or uh, foot speed in the world can play short. Uh, and we see that in the big leagues right now. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, any team that wants me to play third base and that's what's going to help us win the game, then that's what I'll do. So uh, I just want to be most successful wherever I play. And uh, if they happen to like me at uh, third base or second base or wherever, uh, I'll be happy to do that if it means we're going to win more baseball games. Brooks, I always like to ask players their impressions of other players, like like make make you be a little bit of a scout. But like you've played with and against a lot of good players. You're on Team USA and played in the Cape last year, your college career. Who is the best position player you've seen and the best pitcher you've seen since you've gotten to college? Um, I would say all around. Um, Dylan Cruz, when I played with him in Team USA, um, I think that he had like extreme bat speed um, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do. He could manipulate the bat uh, to do anything he wanted with any pitch uh, in the game. So I think that him being a year younger than us also showed us a lot of, uh, you know, we're all like, all right, don't good thing. You're not in our draft class. Uh, <laughs> I'd say him. And then uh, there's a, few, I mean, I really face a lot of good pitchers. Um, you had Reggie Crawford, uh, who's a flamethrower. And then uh, I thought Gabriel Hughes um, was especially good at Gonzaga. Um, I think I faced him four or five times, and every time I ground out to second. So uh, that wasn't a good feeling. But, yeah, he's definitely a, uh, an all-around good pitcher and has the stuff and the, uh, the body for it. Uh, and then our guy here, Drew Thorpe, uh, was on Team USA in the Cape with us. So, um, I mean, I've faced him a lot more than anybody else has. And it's, uh, it's pretty even, but I know that he dominates everybody else. So um, I have a little bit of an advantage playing against him and playing behind him all the time. I was actually going to ask you uh, about Drew Thorpe because, you know, scouts have the ability to like, well, they're going to go see you. Then they can then have watch him. And he's had uh, a good spring in a year where college pitchers have been getting hurt a lot. Uh, performance has been up and down. So, I mean, just the fact that he takes the ball every week is already is, is a step forward, but he, he's been really good. What, what makes him so successful? Uh, so, I mean, he started out is like the thing that separated him his freshman and sophomore year is the changeup. So we call it the equalizer uh, and it mimics the fastball perfectly uh, until about 10 or 15 feet from the plate. Uh, so it's extremely hard to hit for that reason. And then, he developed, uh, I mean, what we think is a big league slider, uh, and it's been working. So, um, and we always, uh, like, we throw, like, fastballs outside, fastballs inside, uh, fastballs up in the zone. And I think he's probably had the best command out of all of our pitching staff uh, since day one, since he got on campus. Uh, so, obviously, the physical talent uh, has been separating him, but I think the uh, mental game, that he has and that uh, fierce competitor that he is uh, really changes who he is. And, um, he has a chance to be a really good professional baseball player. And uh, I mean, we're seeing it right before our eyes. Well, I mean, I think he's got a chance to possibly go in the first round as well in, in July. And I know obviously the focus is, you know, working on, you know, trying to win the big West title, get into NCAA regionals and, and go from there. How much, I don't know if it's time you say, I would say how much time you spend thinking on the draft or how much, you know, draft chatter do you hear? I, I don't think we're quite in mock draft season yeah. yet, but it's, it's coming soon. I mean, do you try to tune that stuff out? I mean, can you? Uh, well, I always just think that, Hey, it's just, 
uh, it's a good thing that I'm in this situation right now. So uh, I hear it every day, um, whether I want to hear it or not, it's just something that will pop up on my phone or things I get tagged in. So I have no problem with it. And uh, I'm not that person that needs to, to exit out to play good. So um, I just want to, I want to enjoy the time that I have with my dad right now. And then we all know that uh, a couple months down the line, that's when uh, things will start changing. So, um, but for right now, I, yeah, I'm focused on playing baseball and, uh, but it'll always be there uh, whether I want it to or not. Well, I'm, I'm doing our first mock in a few days. Where do you want to go? I think you know where I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> you might be spot on. We'll see. Yeah. Well, well I mean, we'll find, being spot on in that first mock draft is uh throwing darts uh, it's a little <laughs> early but uh but uh, you know we'll follow up with you later and we'll see if we can uh, sync up yeah well thanks a lot brooks we really appreciated talking to you today i know i was thinking in the back of my mind when you were, you were breaking down some of those players for us like you know jonathan and i we, we the draft top 150s just come out you're our top ranked college player number five but we have a hundred more reports that we have to write before, you know, by the time we get the draft top 250 done. And I feel like, I don't know, Jonathan, we should tab Brooks can knock off a couple of those for us based on. Yeah. We'll give them all the hitters. Yeah. Well, I used to be recruiting at area codes and all those trials and stuff as a kid. So, I mean, I've got it down. <laughs> there you go. Well, we'll definitely, if, if you want to write some scouting reports for us, we'll definitely let you do that. Cause there are never any, but Brooks, we really appreciate it. Good luck the rest of the way. Good luck in the draft. Enjoy the time. Uh, it sounds like it's, Pretty cool deal playing with your dad and uh, look forward to seeing where you go near the top of the draft in July. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, Brooks. Well, that was great talking to Brooks Lee. Great hitter, great talker, great evaluator of talent. Really enjoyed that. And we'll be back in a moment with more on the MLB Pipeline podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we're going to talk about some hitters who are off to fast starts in the minor leagues, and then we're going to answer a question in the mailbag to wrap things up. But I also wanted to um, let people know, if you don't know already, that we've started something new, which is pretty exciting. Just over the past weekend, for the first time, we streamed a minor league game on MLB.tv. So what that means is if you are one of the approximately zillion MLB.tv subscribers out there, uh, you're able to watch select minor league games throughout the rest of the season. Our first one was a tasty little pitching matchup up until shortly before the game was supposed to be Asa Lacey versus Jack Leiter, double uh, A Northwest Arkansas and double A Frisco. And uh, Lacey was scratched shortly before the game with what they said on the broadcast, uh, some back troubles. 
And uh, But we got to watch Leiter, which was fun, uh, especially for the first inning. He looked completely dominant, striking out the side. Ran into a little trouble, uh, which was exacerbated or caused by an error. All of his runs unearned in that game. But uh, always fun to watch Jack Leiter. And we're going to continue to select some fun games for you to watch. We've got a couple more on tap this week. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, uh, we have games on Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday, Buffalo at Worcester with uh, two of the game's top 20 prospects facing off with Gabrielle Marino and Tristan Cassis. And then on uh, Thursday, this this is extra special. In addition to being streamed on MLB.tv, this is going to be our very first pipeline game of the month where uh, Jim, Jonathan, and Sam Dykstra will be taking turns uh, visiting minor league clubs and joining the broadcasts uh, with those clubs. Sam is headed to Somerset where we have a Yankees-Red Sox matchup and Anthony Volpe uh, being the focal point there and actually his 21st birthday, so well-timed. Sam's going to take him out for drinks, right? <laughs> they, they are definitely uh, rolling out the red carpet for Sam uh, at Somerset, and he's going to be doing a, a lot of different stuff there. Uh, I don't know if that's part of it. I don't know if they've arranged. I mean, he could legally could drink during the game even. Like, that could be, like, like add to the degree of difficulty or something. So who knows? I don't, I don't know if he – I guess legally? I don't know. There, there may be rules against that. He's 21. Probably be frowned upon. Probably frowned upon. Yeah, yeah. It might might impact his performance. Just saying. Um, so so uh, definitely keep an eye out on MLB.com/pipeline for uh, further games uh, throughout the season. But that's all uh, very exciting. Uh, all right, let's let's talk about some exciting starts to the season. We are going to do a story. You guys are in the process of putting together your lists now of one hitter from each organization who is off to a fast start. Jim, a bush is on fire. <laughs> Very nice. It's a, it's a burning bush. But uh, now Michael Bush uh, of the Dodgers, I think, is showing why the Dodgers took him in the first round back in 2019. Not, not to read too much. I'm not saying he's going to have a, you know, hit 321 with a 1234 ops and a 755, 755 slugging percentage all year. But, you know, he really hasn't had much of a chance at full strength since they took him in the first round. He got hit on the hand by pitch five games into his pro debut or 10 games into his pro debut in 2019. So that ended his season there. He came back and played a little bit in the fall league at the end of 2019. He had the pandemic in 2020. And then they jumped him to double A to show how much they, they believed in his advanced offensive ability. Um, they jumped him to double A and he got hit on the hand again by pitch and, and he was hampered early in the year. And then he kind of had a strong second half. But for a guy who, whose bat was his ticket to the first round, you know, hitting 267 with 20 homers, you know, it was a, a good first full season, but didn't blow you away. But he, he's healthy now. He really picked it up in the second half last year and he's doing what Michael Bush did in college, which is hit for average draw a ton of walks and hit for power. And, you know, the Dodgers who, you know, I've said this a million times, have a knack for making players into the best versions of themselves with Bush. You know, one of the questions when they took him was, okay, you know, we know this guy's one of the better offensive performers in college baseball, but where realistically is he going to play? You know, he had played some first base at mostly North Carolina. He played some outfield. He had played some third base and second base in the Cape 
uh, but it was kind of uncertain. And and for a guy who is listed at six foot one, two hundred and ten pounds, uh, he does not have the speed of a young Jason Ratliff. It's kind of you know below average to fringy speed. You know, second base seemed like a stretch, but he's gotten a little bit quicker. He's improved defensively. He, you know, I, I think, you know, it, it, the profile is kind of similar to Max Muncy in, you know, that you can get by with this guy at second base. He plays at least adequately there, especially with the positioning. And he's another guy who, if he keeps hitting like this, um, you know, the Dodgers not only develop guys, they seem to develop them pretty quickly. I don't think it's out of the question that he could be pushing, you know, he'll go to AAA first, but he could be pushing for a role in Los Angeles by the end of the season because the bat is that advanced and that good. That's a, uh, that's a nice little lineup in uh, Tulsa, isn't it? I think virtually every member of that lineup is on our Dodgers top 30 list. It, it's, a, it's a bunch of guys who are legit prospects. Yeah, and uh, so far, mostly performing quite well. Jonathan, I guess we're going to stick with a Los Angeles theme here. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited uh, about how Jordan Adams uh, has started out this year. Again, with the small sample size caveat, it's 10 games in. Uh, he's number seven prospect now with the Angels. Really interesting guy. He was you know, a multi-sport athlete in high school. Uh, Could have gone to play Division One college football, opted to play baseball. Uh, it was a little bit of a surprise first rounder for the Angels in 2018. And then in 2019, kind of had a, I, I would say, better than expected first full season, just in terms of his feel and his approach at the plate. Got promoted to high A as a teenager. It all looked good. And then 2021, his his approach kind of went completely backwards. Uh, strikeout rate way too high. Uh, didn't draw any walks or use his speed you know, to, to the greatest advantage. And then he's back in high A this year. He's still only 22 for all, all of this year. So uh, there's plenty of time for him uh, to, to figure it out. But so far, so good. He's not striking out a ton. Uh, he's hit 378. He's got five extra base hits. Two of those are triples. Um, he, he's already stolen five bases as they've been encouraging him to use his, his speed more. Uh, you know, I don't know how much power he's going to have, but I think he's going to impact the ball enough. And if, if this continues, right, if he's kind of rediscovered the approach that he showed in 2019, he has a chance to be a, a top of the order guy. He plays tremendous defense in center field, plus, plus defender there a few years before you have to worry about that. Uh, you know, that seems to keep happening with the angels, but, uh, but an interesting package of tools, and the question's always been, well, is he going to hit? And so far this year, he's making some good adjustments. So I have a feeling he'll get promoted to double A at some point this year, and that'll be a really good test for him. Okay, let's swing back to the draft. Uh, mailbag question this week comes from Charles Brown, who asks, what do you do if you're the Orioles at number one? College under slot or high-end high school, who do you take? Do you think if, if you're named Charles Brown, you make sure you go by Charles at all times? Well, there there was the uh, NFL wide receiver who went by Charlie Brown, right? Sure. Redskin, right? I believe so. Back when they were the Redskins? Anyway, so I, I think, I mean, if I'm picking, uh, I'm taking the best player available. Uh, and so right now that probably would be Drew Jones. And, you know, 
no idea what signability or anything like that is. Uh, and if I'm looking, you know, what the Orioles are doing, uh, again, teasing, we'll have our first mock draft this week, way too early, uh, but they are heavily scouting the the top four high school hitters that we talked about early. So Drew Jones and, uh, you know, Elijah Green, Tamar Johnson, and Jackson Holiday are all, you know, in, in their mix. And there's a couple of college hitters. Uh, right now, it looks like Brooks Lee and uh, Jacob Berry from LSU. And, you know, you look at what the Orioles have done the last couple of years, which has been to save money on a college hitter with their first pick, which has been early, uh, not, you know, not, not in the top spot. Um, you know, the, when they had the top spot, they took out Lee Rushman. He was also the a best player, the best player on the board who happened to be a college player. Um, so it remains to be seen what they, they do with that. There, there is the potential that they could go that route. Um, but I don't, you know, I'm not sure this year, like I, I could see them taking a high school hitter. Jim, what, you know, what do you think is in, in a way too early projection as to what the, the Orioles might do? Yeah. You know, it's risky when you start playing games with, with your first round pick, because in the last two drafts, as you mentioned, Jonathan, you know, they, they took a below slot guy to save the money for later. And two years in a row, the guy they wanted did not get to them, which is, is always a risk. You can't guarantee that the target that you, you want, which two years ago was Nick Bitsko and last year was Judd Fabian, is going to fall, you know, 20 or more picks to be available with your next selection. So, you know, I have a hard time reading what they're going to I mean, and as you said, it, it's way early. We're almost three months out. It's, it's, I think it's too early to really have a read on what they're going to do because you can look back to last time that they had the number one pick and you could say they took a college guy, which was Rutschman, or you could say they took the best player on the board, which was Rutschman, which could lead you either way. Um, you know, right now, if I had to guess, I would say Brooks Lee. Um, if I had to guess what I thought they were going to do, and not just because we enjoy talking to Brooks on this podcast, if it were me, who would I take? I would never, when I'm picking the number one pick, play games with the pick. I would identify the guy I think is the best player in the draft and take him. So I would take Drew Jones at number one. All right. So you guys, you agree. You do the same thing. You both take Drew Jones. Is that, that That's an accurate summation? Yep. That is an accurate summation. Make it happen. There's your answer, Charles Brown. All right. Thanks very much to Charles for his question. Thanks very much to Brooks Lee for joining us on the podcast today. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.